Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. Nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. How many of you remember that song? It says, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Sing, oh, and oh, precious is the flow that makes me White as snow, no other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Do you know the fount of heaven? It's the question of the morning. Do you know the fount of heaven? I'm so thankful for the Father that sent his perfect son to be a sacrifice for our sins. Where he spilled his precious blood on Calvary more than 2,000 years ago. If I said nothing else, church, that should have your heart elated and have your heart rejoicing and have your heart excited. Because if Jesus did nothing more then give his life on Calvary, he's already done enough. Can somebody say amen? Amen. He spilled his blood, church. Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11 says, For the life of a creature is in the blood. He says, And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. Atonement means that that it is right standing with God. It goes on to say, it says, it is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. It is the blood of Jesus that makes atonement, that makes you right with God before God. Amen? And so without the blood, there can be no life in our physical bodies. Amen? Without the blood, we have nothing to keep us alive. Without the blood, there is nothing that is sustaining our life, amen? And so in the times that we are living in today, church, we know that blood is pretty important. We see people all across this nation that we live in that are fighting diseases and fighting battles against their blood. Things like diabetes and sickle cell anemia. Things like hemophilia, cancer of the blood, leukemia, myeloma. And there's so many more that I could list, but the truth is is that there are blood drives and blood banks and they're needing this precious life-saving liquid. This precious life-giving liquid. In church, it's no surprise to me that if you turn on, you know, Christian TV or or you, you, you surf on the internet and you hear preachers preaching and pastors talking, it's no surprise to me that you rarely hear messages about the blood. Because the enemy will do everything that he can to cancel the blood. 
But how many of you know that when Jesus died upon the cross, the enemy became eternally defeated? Amen. Amen. He became eternally defeated. But the enemy so often wants our pulpits to be preaching messages like self-help topics. Preach messages that make you feel good, amen? That tickle that little place in your ear that sound good, that, that sound nice. You walk in and you, you hear the preacher preach something and say, man, that sounds real good. I feel good today because he said something, but on Monday you're dead. And Monday, your life is lifeless because there was no power in the word. I'm here to preach the full, unadulterated word of God to you this morning that says the blood of Jesus, church, is more than enough. The blood of Jesus still saves. It's only because of the blood that we're here today. Could somebody give him praise today? It's only because of the blood. The blood of Jesus is spoken of over 427 times in your Bible. How many of you brought your Bible to church? Lift it up. Let me see it. Hallelujah. Is your Bible also in your cell phone? All right. Praise God for the rest of you. But the living word doesn't need a charger to keep it alive. <laughs> All righty. All right. Let's keep going. Sorry. Getting sidetracked here. The blood of Jesus is spoken of 427 times in the word, so it's easy to see that this is pretty important to God. Amen? It's pretty important that we talk about this. It's pretty important because it's not a minor theme. It's a major theme. It's important to notice that without the blood, the gospel is dead. You see, there's a lot of people that think they're preaching and teaching the full gospel, but if it doesn't contain the blood, it's lifeless. If it doesn't talk about the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, it isn't the gospel. If all it is concerning about your life is how well you do and how victorious you'll be and how prospered your life will become, it's not the gospel, my friend. Because Jesus didn't come to say, you know what, I came to this earth so you could just be prospered and blessed. He didn't say that I came to this earth so that you could have, you know, a good pat on the back and feel good about yourself when you walk out, but you're still living in sin. He didn't say those things. He said, I came to bring a sword. I came to bring a sword. That sword is his word, and the Bible says that it is sharper than any double-edged sword. It is able to cut. It's able to divide. It's able to separate the bone from the marrow. It's the only thing, church, that will give you life. It is the word and the word alone. Amen? There's so many things that the Bible has to say about the blood of Jesus. There's many, many things. And I want to take note of just a few this morning. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 28. says, Jesus said this, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for the many, for the remission of sins. This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. 1 Peter 1 and verse 18 says this, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you by your forefathers. Verse 19 says, But with the precious blood of Christ, 
a lamb without blemish or defect. Amen. First John 1 and 7 says this. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Amen. You see, the early church understood the importance of the blood of Jesus. In the book of Acts, we find that there was about 22 sermons that were recorded by four different preachers, by the apostles. And every single one of them gave the same message. They understood that the message was the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They understood that his death and the provision of the covering by the blood was essential and the essential ingredient in the gospel. Without the blood, there is no life. But we have to ask ourselves this question this morning. Have we forgotten about the importance of the blood? I don't know what intention you came to church with this morning. I don't know what intention you walked in here with. Maybe you need physical healing. Maybe you came because it's routine. It's what your family always does on Sunday. Maybe it's just something where, you know, you were passing by and you felt like you needed to stop in this place. Well, listen, I believe that's divine appointment. But the question of the matter is this, is have you forgotten about the importance of the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ? And this morning I have one goal, and that is to remind us about what this communion table represents. John chapter 6, verse 53. You can open your Bibles there, and we're going to be touching on these verses. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Anytime he starts off with saying he tells you the truth, everybody say it with me. It's the truth. It's the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. Jesus cannot lie. Jesus did not lie. And Jesus will not lie to you. He said, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. And whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. This morning, we're going to partake of this cup and this bread. But before we do so, we must take to heart several things I believe that these verses are wanting to show us this morning. And number one is this. Before you partake in this table, you must be saved. I didn't say you should be saved. I didn't say you should consider getting saved. I said you must be saved. Oswald Chambers said, when Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross, it was not the blood of a martyr or the blood of one man for another. It was the life of God poured out to redeem the world. And every single one of us outside of Jesus is unredeemed. But he has already paid the price for our redemption by giving his life for you. Receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior is confessing that what he did upon the cross actually happened. 
It's believing in, in, in your heart that you were dead in sin, but because of the work of Jesus, you will now be raised to life. We have to profess this and believe this before we take this table. It's acknowledging the fact that Jesus lived a perfect life and shed his blood so our sins could be forgiven and our inheritance could one day be heaven. It's the renouncing of your ways. Amen. See, to be saved isn't to be living in your own merit or your own matter. It's not to be living for your own agenda or your own will. To be saved is to be listening to his voice. Because Jesus showed us perfectly what a relationship with the Father could look like. He modeled it for us in such a way that he showed what a supernatural life surrendered to the kingdom of God could look like. The only agenda that Jesus had was to please his heavenly father. The only agenda that he had. And so we renounce our ways, the ways of this world, and we commit every single day to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. You see, this costs you something. This might be completely opposite of the street preachers you hear on the internet. Of the people that say, listen, it's about you, it's for you, and it's all these things. No, 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 my friend, it's about him. It's never been about us. Thank God that he loves us, amen? Thank God that he loved you enough that he said, I will give my son in, in their place. Man, I thank God that he loved me that much. But guess what? The moment I said yes to him, it was never about me. It's always been about him. John 6 and 53, Jesus says to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That cannot get any clearer. Amen? It says you have no life in you. Jesus clearly shows us without the Son of Man, that is his life. And without the blood in our hearts, there is no life. We are dead spiritually. This communion table, my friend, will not give you life. I'll say it again. This communion table has no life in it. It's only an action. It's only symbolic of what we do to remember what he did for our life. Amen? But this communion table itself has no life. Can I tell you the first time I tried to take communion? First time I ever went to church. It was a Catholic church. Actually here in our city. My mom was raised, you know, of Catholic Catholicism and my stepdad was raised in the Mormon faith. So I kind of had things working against me from the beginning. Just kidding, just kidding. Not really. <laughs> Anyways, moved down to South Texas and I get an invitation from my family. They said, come to church with us. I said, I've never went to church a day in my life, but let's go. So I go to church and walk into a Catholic church for the first time and, and there's a lot of you know, uh, stand up, sit down, uh, do the thing, you know, before you walk in the pew. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. I was completely lost. I see everybody, you know, repeat the prayer, you know, when it's time to repeat the prayer and do all that stuff. And I literally have no idea what I'm doing. And then everybody stands up, you know, towards the end of the service and they go forward to take communion. 
And it was kind of funny, you know, and I, and I almost think now, you know, it was, it was the Lord doing something in my life before I knew he was doing something. Amen. How many of you know that before you acknowledge him, he's still working in your life? Amen. He's still doing something in your life. And I remember I walked forward and everybody's, you know, they walk forward and they open their mouths. And the priest puts, you know, the communion there and you walk off. And I walked forward and I was like, and he's like, no. He's like, go. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I don't know why he, he told me no, but I thank God that he did anyways. You wouldn't want Pope Duke up here. <laughs> amen. I think my life turned out a little bit better, but amen. So the communion itself does nothing for you. It, it, it's, not, it's not necessarily uh, empowered because the spirit gives power. Amen. Amen. The blood of Jesus gives power. The Lord is the one that is the one that that brings us into this life with Him that that raises us up, Amen. And it's through acknowledging Him, not acknowledging a table, that we are able to partake of His life. That word "eat" in the picture that we were reading just before, where it says "eat the flesh of the Son of Man." That word "eat," it's actually a picture of hungering after Christ. And eagerly wanting to feed on his word and feast on his presence for your life. How many of you want Jesus? Amen. You just want to spend time with the Lord. Amen. You want the Lord to work in your life. He said to feast on his word in Matthew 4 and 4. That man would not live by bread alone. But by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Amen. And so this tense in which Jesus explained this word eat is different. It's a present tense which means a continual action. A person must continue to eat and develop and grow into the habit of feasting upon the life of Jesus. I ask you the question this morning, are you saved? Seven of you, I think that was. Oh, man, we're going to have a big altar call this morning. I said, are you saved? All right. It's okay if you didn't answer. Amen. Yeah, glorify the Lord. But it's okay if you didn't answer because there's going to be a wonderful opportunity for you today. But I ask you this question, are you hungry for the Lord? Amen. Amen. Are you hungry for him? I would venture to say that most of us ate something yesterday. Amen. I'm not much of a breakfast guy. I usually drink my breakfast in the form of coffee. And then I'll eat lunch and I'll eat dinner. But if I had not eaten lunch or dinner yesterday, I'd probably be really hungry today. If you didn't eat something today, you'd probably be really hungry tomorrow. In fact, if you only ate once a week, you'd probably begin to starve your life. And Jesus is wanting us to understand a very important point here. Being saved and acknowledging his life has everything to do with a daily communion with him. A daily Feasting on his word, amen. A daily feasting in the presence of the Lord. I thank God for this communal gathering that we're having this morning, amen. I thank God when all the saints get together because I can feel the faith in the room, amen. But guess what? I had my time with Jesus yesterday. I had my time with Jesus last night. I had my time with Jesus at 3, 4 o'clock this morning. 
This is important, and what God wants to do here is extremely important, but it's not daily bread. I have access to daily bread through a relationship with him. Are you hungry for the Lord? Are you hungry for Jesus? John 6 and 51 says this, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. I love how he illustrates this. I know some of you are thinking about bread right now. Just hang on with me a little bit longer. Man, have you ever got that bread from Texas Roadhouse? Oh, dude. There is like holiness in the butter. I don't know what's in there. But man, that butter is like, oh, dude. Somebody invite me, please. Just invite me. I want to go. Or you go to, your, or you go to uh, what's the other place that we always go? Longhorn. My wife and I like to go to Longhorn. They also have fantastic bread. Nice and hard on the outside. And you, you cut it and then it's just like it could squish into like a little tiny ball like that. Jesus says, I am the living bread. Better than any bread that you could ever get on this earth. In fact, more satisfying, more lasting, more filling. Amen. It will not only nourish your, your physical body, but it will nourish your spiritual body. He said, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Come on, man. That's some good bread. Amen. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Do you know that Jesus died for everybody? Did you know that he died for those who are far off and want to have nothing to do with him? Amen. Did you know that Jesus died for people from every race and religion and creed? Somebody say amen. Did you know that Jesus died for people from every nation and tongue? Somebody say amen. Jesus died for the worst of sinners. In fact, Jesus died for me. Jesus died for you. He died for the entire world. John 5 and 24, I tell you the truth. I love it when he says that. He's not lying. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And they will not be condemned for they have crossed over from death to life. They have crossed over from death to life. This is the Lord's point in these verses. Just as real life on this earth comes from eating and drinking food, so real and abundant life comes from drinking and partaking of the life of Jesus. Matthew 5 and 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness has a name. His name is Jesus. Righteousness has a name, and it says what? For they will be filled. John chapter 7 and verse 37 says, On the last and the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and he said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Let him come to me and drink. I want us to understand this picture just for a moment. This is part of their festival that they would have, and it was ending. This was the eighth day of the festival. And on the eighth day, it was a, it was a celebration. It was this Huge gathering for the Jewish people. And on the eighth day, the priest would take water from, from there, was a, there was a stream of, of uh, silo that went underneath the temple. And they would take this water and they would pour it upon the altar. And as they poured the water upon the altar, they would sing a song that was from Isaiah 12.3. It says, with joy you shall draw water out of the wells of salvation. 
And so as they were pouring out this water upon the altar, the people were dancing and singing and they were rejoicing. And Jesus stands up in the middle of the party saying, if anybody's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. See, what they did as a custom was finally made available in reality. What they did as something that was kind of a theory, as something that they had faith in, the, the, the well of life was actually standing in their presence. They're pouring out the water upon the altar thinking, you know, you know what, we're excited because one day the Messiah is going to come. And Jesus stands up and says, it's me. I'm here. I'm in your midst. I'm available to you. I'm right here so that you can partake of my life. The Son of Man was actually there. The one that they were singing about was in their midst. I told you at the beginning of this message, Jesus is here. The one that we just sang about that the worship team was praising and glorifying, he is actually here in your midst right now. He is moving all throughout these aisles. He's moving all throughout this building. And he's touching hearts all across this room right now. He's here. He's ready. He's available. His spirit is available for you now. The Holy Spirit is speaking to somebody in this place today that it isn't just a religious gathering. Man, if you showed up for a religious gathering, you're about to get blown away. Jesus is standing up in the midst of the temple saying, Come all who are thirsty, and I will give you a drink. It isn't just a celebration of God that we're singing about. The, this God is with us. Can I get a witness this morning? Amen. And before anyone participates at this table, we must be saved and cleansed by the blood of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11 and 28 says, A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment upon themselves. The next thing that I want us to note from John chapter 6 is this, is that that promise that Jesus makes, that promise that Jesus makes for you and I is read in John 6 54. He said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and here's the promise, and I will raise him up at the last day. He will raise up your life on that final day. This is a promise of his return, amen? How many of you know that Jesus will return, amen? The Lord is coming, amen? And I believe what the Lord wants us to take from this verse is we must have faith in his resurrection power. We must have faith that this one that we have surrendered our life to and given our heart to, we must believe, church, that the day that we breathe our final breath upon this earth, that he will raise us to be with him forever. Amen. Do you believe that this morning? The Lord wants you not only to have faith and believe that not only he can forgive you of your many sins, but he can save your soul, but he can take these souls to be with him Forever. You see, that's the blessed hope of the church. That is the blessed hope that right now, should the Lord return, I pray that this building would be absolutely empty. Because these houses and lands and things that we have 
acquired for ourselves in this world, they're nothing compared to what the Lord has in store for you in glory. Amen. They're nothing compared to what the Lord has in store for us. The scripture says in John chapter 14 that he's going to prepare a place for you. He said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come to take you to be with me where I am. Amen. That is the blessed hope of the church. The rapture that the scripture is speaking about is one, though, that goes against all logic and physics. <laughs> How is Jesus going to take, I'm assuming at this point, millions and billions of believers how is he going to take us all up at once? You know, the Bible says in the twinkling of an eye, there will be a trumpet sound from the eastern sky. And the Lord will ride upon, his, uh, upon that horse, that, that great white horse, and he will come to resurrect the church. Those who are dead in Christ will rise first. And then the rest of us who are living will be taken up to be with him in glory. But it's contrary, though, to what the world teaches. Because the world teaches that once a person dies, that that's it. They are laid in the ground never to breathe again. A famous preacher, Smith Wigglesworth, said this, The blood of Jesus Christ and his mighty name are an antidote to the subtle seeds of unbelief that Satan would sow in your mind. How can God raise up everyone that has believed in him on that final day? I would venture to think that many of us would say it's because, well, God is strong. He would have to be pretty strong. Amen? He would have to be pretty strong. He would have to be fit. Amen? He would have to be able to, to, to do such a task. He would have to be able to lift up every Christian at the same time. That makes sense in our minds. We know that God is strong. The scripture calls him God Almighty. Amen? He is God Almighty. But we must note this, that even though God is strong, it's not these bodies that will enter into heaven. For in heaven we will receive a new body. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 42 says this, So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. It said, it is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. You see, the reason that God the Father was able to raise his son Jesus from the dead was because of his faith and belief. Amen? It wasn't merely a matter of strength. It was a matter of certainty. Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe in him? You see, that's the true question. Jesus had so much faith in his father that he was willing to place all of his trust in him. Every last bit of his life, he was willing to place it fully in his father. And God, knowing that he breathed his last breath and the blood flowed out from his side, he would surely see his Father in heaven for eternity. Jesus had business to do during those three days in the tomb. The Bible says that Jesus went down to the pit of hell and he took all authority. 
He took the keys to life and death. And he took what Satan thought he possessed. He took the very thing that everyone in this world is so afraid of. And that is crossing the veil to the other side of eternity. People are so fearful and so worried about what happens on the other side of that veil. But if you have Jesus Christ living in your heart today, you have nothing to worry about. Amen? I said you have nothing to worry about. 1 Corinthians 6 and 14 says, By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also, amen. It's only God's power that can raise from the dead, but his power is activated by your faith in him. I said his power is activated by your faith and your belief in him. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12 says, So having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Romans chapter 8 and verse 11 says, So if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Amen? That means that we must have faith that if God could raise his own son Jesus, then surely he can raise us up to, to be with him forever. Amen? I believe that Jesus would ask us the same question that he asked Martha, the sister of Lazarus. She had been away and he had been away. Well, Jesus was away traveling in another town when, when her brother Lazarus got sick. And the scripture says that he got so sick he actually died. And so Jesus was going to use this as an opportunity to test this sister's faith. How many of you know that the Lord will put us in all kinds of situations to test our faith? He'll put you in situations where you think that, that you know, they, they're literally seemingly impossible. But he wants us to understand, church, that we cannot think any longer from our carnal mind. That we have to be so fully vested in him that we know, church, that what seems impossible is, or what seems logical is actually possible. The things that actually seem like God is, there's no way that you're able to do this, Lord. I trust and I believe and I declare that you are able. I declare that he is able. John 11 and verse 21 says, Lord, Martha says to Jesus, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. He says, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you asked. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answers, she says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? See, Martha's answer was yes. Her answer was yes. And she witnessed not only the one day God taking her up to be with him forever. But she witnessed an earthly resurrection of her brother. Imagine believing so much that the person that you actually saw lose their life. Believing so much that he had all the authority to breathe life back into him. 
that it actually happened. I want us to believe what he says. I want us to believe it to our very core, church. That it causes you and stirs you to move into places and to pray for things and to live a certain way before the Lord where, where all of a sudden you actually put, the, you know, put this thing to the test. Where it's not just a, a figment of your imagination or it's not just some kind of thing where you, you, you profess and you say, oh, I do believe, you know, I, at least I think I do believe. But listen, the, 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 the proof of belief, church, is action. If Jesus didn't believe that his father could take him off that cross, guess what? He would have never signed up for it. He would have never said, I'm willingly going to lay down my life. I'm willingly going to carry that cross. He would have never done it if he did not believe. But he did believe. He did believe. And listen, sometimes we convince ourselves that we believe. But our lifestyle reflects something completely different. The moment that you're hit with news from a doctor's report, the moment that you're hit with news about your finances, the moment that you're hit with news about your kids or whatever, all of a sudden your heart and your life goes to a completely different place but belief. And the Lord is saying, do you believe? Do you believe that what I said I am able to do, I can do in your life? Do you believe that what I said I am able to do, I can do in the lives of your children, in the lives of your family, in the lives of your loved ones? Do you not believe that I can work through your life? Do you not believe? The third thing the Lord wants us to understand this morning, John 6 and 55 says this, My flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. I love how he uses the word real. Saying made up. This is not made up. This is the truth. The absolute truth. Regardless of how many people question it, it's the truth. Regardless of how many people don't want this book in schools, it's the truth. Regardless of how many people want to tear this book out of our nation, it is the truth. It will always be the truth. You could equip every army of this world to destroy this book, and it will keep on living. Because he said, heaven and earth will pass away. But my word, everybody say it, my word, his word remains forever, church. His word remains forever. So he said, my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I remain in him. I believe, church, that before we take this bread and drink this cup, we must not only know that he is preparing an eternal home for us, but the Lord is here and he is with you right now. Every single day, church, you have access to this king in this kingdom as a believer in Christ. And when a person receives Christ into their heart, that person is also taken and placed into Christ. This is why it says that you will remain in him. We're also placed with other believers into the spiritual body of Jesus. And this is how the Lord wants you to live. Colossians 3 and 3 says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. See, this only applies to those who believe. I have to draw that line in the sand. 
For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. He desires so much to have daily communion with you. That word communion means common union. It means every single day you will speak with him. And every single day, church, he wants to speak to you. Will you let him? He wants to hear you pray. He wants you to have fellowship with his life. He wants to teach you. He wants to guide you. He wants to care for your life. He wants to show you his purpose for your life. He wants to heal your body. He wants to save your family. He wants to show you his powerful, powerful love. He wants to work through you. He is alive and he is well, but these things will only happen if we remain in him. John 15 and verse 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. He says, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. To be separate from the Lord removes all access to him. But to be close to Jesus makes us in his likeness. This world needs this church to live out their faith like Jesus. This world needs you and I to begin to live and love and show mercy and compassion and show truth and power and the, and the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This world needs you to live it. Not just put the badge on. Not just put the bumper sticker on your car. There's no bumper stickers that are getting into heaven. Sorry to dis disappoint you. Your car is not going with you. <laughs> I want to be like Jesus, don't you? I said, I want to be like the Lord, don't you? 1 John 3 and 24 says, Those who obey his commands live in him, and he in them. It says, and this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Holy Spirit that he has given to us. Amen. This morning as I ask you to stand, ushers, if you would come. Access to Jesus has been given to you and I. Amen. Access has been made available for you and I through the shedding of the precious blood of Jesus upon Calvary. His blood is able to forgive us of our sins, both past, present, and future. And His blood is available to cleanse us of all sin and unrighteousness this morning. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.